In January of this year, what might go down as the greatest Pokemon speedrun of all time was completed. Pokemon Red in 1 hour, 44 minutes, and 3 seconds by Pokeguy. The new record cut over a minute off the previous world record by Huangbro, a time that had stood since November 2020, despite heavy competition from Pokeguy and others. This new world record is so perfectly executed, and more importantly, so unlikely, that it just might never be beaten. Let me explain to you why. This is Pokeguy. He's one of the most accomplished Pokemon speedrunners of all time. He currently holds six world records across four Pokemon titles, and has been honing his craft for years. So I started uh, back in early 2015. I was into Red Glitchless and Blue Catchemall, I guess, at first. My first few years, I mostly spent on glitched categories, actually. Eventually, I moved on to glitchless categories in, like, 2016-ish. Um, and I've pretty much only been doing glitches categories since then. I've hopped all over. I've ran every gen except five. Uh, I've technically run seven with Let's Go now. So any, every gen except five or nine. Pokemon is Pokemon, but there are so many differences between my typical challenge run, a hardcore Nuzlocke, and the challenges presented by a glitchless real-time speedrun. Nuzlocke's are all about patience. I'll spend longer than Pokeguy's entire run took just to plan for one really difficult battle. I also have to improvise a lot, even my best plans can be destroyed by a few particularly nasty rolls of the RNG, forcing me to stop everything and devise a completely new plan mid-fight. Glitchless runners don't have time for any of that nonsense. Yes, they're at the mercy of RNG, just as I am, but they have to be ready with the correct response to any possible roll immediately as it happens. Real-time runners like Pokeguy have the entire run scripted out, and if the RNG doesn't cooperate, they either have a backup plan ready to go, or they're prepared to reset and hope the RNG treats them better on the next run. Most situations are just laid out, like you know what to do in every single situation. Uh, the only situations where like you'd have to probably come up with something is if you get like a really strange Gen 1 miss somewhere, and something really weird happens and you don't know what to do, I guess. Otherwise, like, every situation there's a solution for, or you reset, I guess. So, speedrunning requires patience, just in a different way. The video of Pokeguy's run shows the final failed attempt before the record. It suffered the same fate as many of his runs, dying to this Weedle fight in Viridian Forest. You see that 2800 in his splits? That's the attempt counter. And he says that number only includes runs he's been doing since he started his most recent set of attempts at the Red World Record back in mid-2022. These 2800 attempts were accrued over give or take six months. He resets, grabs Squirtle, and heads out into Kanto just as he's done thousands if not tens of thousands of times before. Pokemon has gone through a lot of changes throughout the years and generations, but no matter which flavor of Pokemon you're playing, glitchless speedruns tend to follow a similar script. Switching and catching Pokemon takes time, so instead of building a team, these runs usually ask one Pokemon to take on everything. Often, it's the starter. Even if there are theoretically better options, most aren't good enough to justify going out of your way and catch and train that Pokemon as well. This guy? He's worth it. Let Pokeguy tell you why. First of all, you get 
a stage three final evolution about 25 or less minutes in, 20 minutes in, which is, you can't do that with anything else. Um, and then its move set is also extremely good. It learns Thrash at level 23, and Thrash is really good for the speedrun because you don't have to select a new move every turn. So it saves a lot of time um, like that. And then it also just learns a crazy TM pool to just go through the game super quickly. Just works out. Nidoking's stats are pretty underwhelming when compared to the game as a whole. Its 485 base stat total ties it for 38th in the game, and most notably it's less than Blastoise's 510. But because Nidoking evolves from Nidorino at any level with the help of the Moonstone you can grab very early on in Mount Moon, you get access to these stats far, far earlier than is otherwise possible. Blastoise, or any other starter, but they're all slower, wouldn't evolve until somewhere in Lavender Town. Compared to Wartortle's 390 base stat total, Nidoking might as well be a legendary. There's more that makes Nidoking nice to have, but we'll get to that later. Squirtle takes Pokeguy through Brock, by which time 70% of his runs are usually already dead. As he takes on the first gym, let me talk to you guys about the sponsor of today's video, Manscaped. Yeah, sorry, we're doing the Subway Surfer bit again. This is this video is sponsored by Manscaped, specifically the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. That's right, back at it again. Manscaped no longer only shaves your balls, they also shave your face. Uh, with this guy, look at this. Oh, damn. Do you see this? So this is a beard hedger, and this will allow you to set the trimmer to whatever length you like that is also on this wheel. So if you want the this scruffy ass look, whatever whatever I got going on here, it's really bad. It's, it's bad. Literally just today came back from my Japan trip, and I have not trimmed my beard. Good thing I have this guy. One second. Great beard trimmer, seriously, go check it out. It's the centerpiece of the Beard Hedger Pro Kit, but it's by far not the only- I can't stop playing with it, I have ADHD. <coughs> Excuse me, this beard shampoo washes your beard. Makes it look real nice, real clean. Boom. Pops open, put that in the shower, easy peasy. But you're not done. You're not done grooming your beard yet because the Beard Hedger Pro Kit has more products for you, like the beard conditioner. Oh my god, look at that. There's even more in this box. There's a brush for your beard. They got a comb with two sides. There's, I'm, I'm not even done yet. Beard oil, make it look even nicer. It's even got a balm. It's to style it, for to get that mustache twirl, for example. The guy done beating Brock yet? It looks like he is. Okay, thanks to Manscaped for sponsoring this video. Click my link in the description. 20% off manscaped.com slash Pokemon challenges. Thanks for the, I'll, Please click the link so that they continue to work with me because this was, I really phoned this one in. All right, I'll see you guys later. Enjoy the rest of the speedrun video. Bye. In Mount Moon, the switch is made and he has to get through a few fights with Nidoran and Nidorino. But before you even get to Cerulean City, the king is ready to rule with an iron fist or whatever he's got going on here. Nothing on Nugget Bridge or the route to Bills is prepared for a third stage evolution. These chumps give Nidoking enough experience to learn Thrash before the Misty fight. Not only does Thrash save time from menus like Pokeguy said, it's also a really strong early game move at 90 base power. Anything stronger that you can access in the early game like Mega Cake will come with a substantial drawback. Thrash is also incredibly PP efficient because thrashing for two or three turns will only use up one PP. And because most trainers have very little Pokemon, the confusion that thrash induces normally just does not happen. What follows though isn't just luck, 
it's Pokeguy knowing precisely how to play the line that would reward him with a ridiculous time if he got the right rolls, and what resulted might just be the single most impressive hour in Pokemon speedrunning history. To fully understand how Pokeguy did it, we have to understand a mechanic unique specifically to the original Game Boy Pokemon games, Red Bar. It's kind of a funny name because Game Boy Pokemon games don't actually render a red bar when you're at low health like modern games do. But despite the name, the color isn't important. What actually matters here is the infamous sound that plays when you're below 20.7% HP, the red bar or critical health threshold. Red Bar is a product of one of the corners the programmers had to cut to get everything to work in red and blue. In order to properly play this incredibly annoying sound that warns you your Pokemon is about to die, the game has to shut off other sound effects due to the Game Boy's audio hardware limitations. This, by the way, is why Red Bar isn't considered a glitch. It's a product of the hardware working perfectly as intended. The real discovery was the way this state could be used to optimize the speedrun. The sound effects shut off by Red Bar are present in every single battle. It's not just that you don't hear them, their corresponding animations are also skipped. The 1-2 to two seconds per opposing Pokémon from battle entry cries and other sounds like the level up jingle add up quickly. After this discovery, optimizing the Pokémon Red Run wasn't just about good overworld movement and making correct decisions in battle, despite the many possibilities the RNG can throw at you. You could otherwise play perfectly, but if you didn't maximize your time in Red Bar, you'd have no chance at the world record. It's actually very similar to how in speedruns of Gen 3 and onwards, you want to maximize your starter's time in one-third of its HP to trigger their ability and do more damage. The scary thing about Red Bar? You have to be under 20.7% HP to activate it. You want to be able to play around the crit? You want to play around the ever-looming threat of the Generation 1 miss? Too bad. Nidoking is overleveled for much of the game. The riskier you play, the faster your run is. It's quite the beautiful mechanic. And it's all unintentional. Nidoking is overleveled for much of the game and is able to one-shot many Pokémon, at one point clearing 21 opposing Pokémon in a row without allowing the opponent to take a single turn. But it can't get through every single fight in the game cleanly, and if you want to maintain Red Bar for as long as possible, you're going to have to put the King at risk at some point. These are all the Pokémon that Pokéguy faces with his Nidoking throughout the run, including its few fights as Nidoran and Nidorino. Pokéguy actually gets into Red Bar on Nugget Bridge thanks to a crit from the junior trainer's Mankey. Oh my god. <laughs> After clearing the rest of the fights on the way to Bill, Pokeguy plays it safe here for the last time for a long while, healing up before the Misty fight. It turned out to be unnecessary. Misty uses an X-Defend on Starmie in this fight, as she has a 25% chance to do every turn of this battle. Pokeguy's Nidoking was strong enough to eat a Water Gun from Starmie, which would have put him into Red Bar range. Did Pokeguy lose time because he chose to heal? Not exactly. The trek from Cerulean to Vermilion on the way to Lieutenant Surge's gym is loaded with Pidgeys that can randomly use Quick Attack. These guys are why even if he had gotten through the Misty fight safely in Red Bar, a heal would have been necessary at some point between Misty and Surge. The real goal is to make sure you get into Red Bar right here. Oh my god! Beyond its sheer power, Nidoking's typing is also incredibly helpful at multiple points in the run. As a ground type, it absolutely shuts down Surge. Only three moves in this fight can even hit Nidoking for damage, Pikachu's Quick Attack and Voltorb's Tackle and Sonic Boom. Sure, Pokeguy could have one-shot both with the Thrash, but he was sitting at 30 HP, just 8 points above the red bar threshold. If he can just take a little bit of damage while finishing this fight quickly, he'll be in a perfect position. 
It is perfect for this run that surges Voltorb Nose Sonic Boom, one of the few consistent moves in Pokemon. Every time Sonic Boom hits, it does 20 damage. No matter how overleveled you are, or how much of a defensive tank your Pokemon is, it can't even crit. Sonic Boom was the ideal move to get hit by here. As you see, at the end of the battle, every time you level up, you gain a little bit of HP, either 3 or 4 points. It's not much, but every level up creeps Pokeguy closer to the red bar threshold. This happens because the HP is added to both your maximum and your current HP, meaning that over time the percent HP you're at increases. Taking a Sonic Boom ensured that he would be able to extend this red bar segment as long as possible, despite the many level ups he gets throughout the next few sections of the game. Pokeguy comes out of red bar just in time for the rival fight in Lavender Town. It's in a perfect position to use an X-Accuracy on this Pidgeotto, whose only attacking moves are Gust and Quick Attack. As you can see, Nidoking can even take the Crit Quick Attack. But we're still not out of the woods yet. There's a 25% chance that this Pidgeotto just Quick Attacks again. Oh my god. Woo! Jesus. This run is going to be full of moments like these, where Pokeguy has no choice but to hope that the RNG rolls in his favor. It's one of the most difficult aspects of Pokemon speedrunning. You can do everything right, you can follow your script to a T, and the game can simply say no. But Pokeguy knows more than anybody that it's just something you have to accept if you want to be a Pokemon speedrunner. I think you just have to get used to it. I don't know. Um, I never really struggled with that. Well, maybe I did when I started, but nowadays, like, I'm just like, oh, that's how it is, you know? I've been doing this for eight years. I'm just, it's just kind of a part of it. Even at this low health, Nidoking isn't threatened by the pitiful trainers in Pokemon Tower and their Ghastlies. Pokeguy makes it to the heal pad in Pokemon Tower with ease, ending the first long red bar segment of the run. But we'll be back soon, don't worry. Nidoking is still overpowered at this point in the game, overrunning the enemy trainers all the way through the Pokeflute atop Lavender Tower. But soon it'll lose the benefit of being overleveled and the fights will get much more complicated. The next stop is Silphco, with a brief stop in Celadon for some shopping. Pokeguy needs a drink to placate the guards, keeping him out of Saffron City, but there's a few other important things to grab here, too. Pretty much every single Pokemon speedrun needs X items, especially in Generation 1, where X accuracy is broken. Rather than raising accuracy by one or two stages, as it does in future games, it just entirely skips all accuracy checks for the rest of the fight. Nidoking will be using some inaccurate moves like Blizzard as we keep going, and X accuracies also eliminate the dreaded Gen 1 mischance the 1 in 256 chance that even 100% accurate moves can miss thanks to a simple error in Gen 1's code. But most critically, it leads us to our next purchase. TM07. Horndrill. Gen 1's broken X accuracy means 1 in KO moves like Horndrill and Fissure also skip their accuracy check, a combination that lets this Nidoking sweep any team he can set up on. Nidoking stays at full health until Sylphco, where a Rocket Arbok starts to chip him down. The rival fight is the one that he needs all this health for. The Gyarados in this fight and the rest of the rival battles throughout the game is one of the biggest hurdles for Nidoking, as it outspeeds and can deal crazy damage with Hydro Pump. Thankfully Pidgeot does pitiful damage with Wing Attack and Quick Attack, and can even deal no damage with Whirlwind or Sand Attack. Time to set up. X Speed to outspeed the rest of Blue's team, which is now outleveling the Nidoking cleanly. X Accuracy to guarantee Horn Drill hits, down goes the Pidgeot. If he wanted to, Pokeguy could have mashed Horndrill until Blue's team was all dead. But instead, Pokeguy sees a chance for greatness. This is where this run goes from world record pace to world record shattering. Pokeguy isn't just trying to win this battle. He's decided that this is where he'll set up Red Bar for the majority of the rest of the game. Hydro Pump would cleanly KO Nidoking from this range. But remember, 
Gen 1's special stat covers both special attack and special defense, with the special defense boost from an X special. Just watch. Yes. So I was trying to get into red bar there, and the only way to do that was to get hit by Hydro Pump, and it missed the Hydro Pump, so Pokey Flute is the fastest way to stall a turn to get it to use another Hydro Pump. With the X accuracy and speed set up, the fight was effectively already over. But instead, Pokeguy opted to risk it all on a Hydro Pump crit. That's scary enough in any Pokemon game. Crit rates were 1 in 16 from Gen 2 to 6, and have been 1 in 24 ever since. But in Generation 1, critical hit rates are derived from a Pokemon's base speed. Gyarados's 81 speed is middling for a fully evolved Pokemon, but that still gives it a 15% chance to crit and end the run on the spot. The whole section there is very risky. So like, if you get crit by the Gyarados, you die. And Gyarados's crit rate is really high. And Gen 1 crit rates are based off base speed. From here on out, all but one battle will be fought at least partially in Red Bar. The scariest moments come in fights that require setup. Giovanni's Nidorino isn't scary on its own, but if you want to deal with the Kangaskhan, Rhyhorn, and Nidoqueen, you have to risk a hit to set up, and if you're at low enough health, Nidorino can find a kill with Horn Attack. This will be the theme of the rest of the run. To get a world record from here, especially a god run like Pokeguys, avoiding risk is not an option. You can only decide what risks you're okay with, like allowing the Nidorino a turn to attack here. Next on Pokeguy's hit list is Koga, whose team of 4 poison types offers zero resistance to Nidoking's Earthquake Span. The actual scary fight in this gym comes from the last gym trainer before the leader, the Juggler. Nidoking can't one-shot the Hypno, and the lead Drowsy threatens a kill with Psychic-type moves, so setting up X items on it is out of the question. That means there is no choice but to risk a turn against Hypno. Two moves will let Pokeguy move on to Koga, Disable, or Poison Gas. Two others can potentially end the run. And because this is a normal enemy trainer, with normal enemy trainer AI, that's essentially a coin flip. O-M-F-G. And then the Hypno in Koga's Gym is the last part that's risky of that strategy. Um, it's one in four fusion. And it can, also, it can also headbutt critical, or just headbutt sometimes just kills you if you're unlucky. That brings him to Koga whose poison types offer absolutely no resistance to Nidoking. But all these level ups have made Nidoking dangerously healthy and close to getting out of red bar. Pokeguy has a plan for that. Old what? Yep. So you always want self-destruct there. It can also, it's guaranteed to self-destruct or X-attack. So you just always go until you get self-destruct. And it always kills you, hopefully. Sometimes you can live it, but if you went for red bar and self, it'll always knock you out. Um, and then you rare candy to revive, and then you always have like the same HP red bar for the rest of the run, and you always keep it, and it just works out super nicely. Pokeguy has three rare candies stashed here, just for this moment, bringing him up to a whopping 10 HP. Between Nino King's raw power and the broken X item plus horn drill, there won't be much to threaten it for a while. This whole run was incredible, but if you're looking for one part that shows a perfect combination of decision making, execution, and serendipitous RNG, look no further than the segment from the Poke Flute to Koga. 
It was the fastest Pokeguy had ever played the split, and it set him up perfectly to destroy the world record. To get through the split, Pokeguy had to put his faith in Pokemon Random Number Generator numerous times. This is the section of the run with the most concentrated risk, and this was the run of Pokeguy's life. He did not have to play it this risky. Pokeguy was already about a minute and a half ahead of world record pace at this point. Going for Red Bar on the Gyarados and Silphco? It's like 45 seconds for 50% to die if it goes well. Many runners would have made the safe decision here, and understandably so. Pokeguy was in a particularly tough position. Not only was he trying to take back his old world record, his current PB was all of one second behind the record he was chasing, set by runner Huangbro. It had taken 2,800 attempts across about six months of grinding to get this run, and he was really willing to risk all of that because he saw the potential this run had. I'm the only person that ever would have gone for Silph Red Bar on the run I was on. No one else would have, because that was the best run ever, and still is, before Silph. So like the fact that I, and you're, if you do Silph Red Bar, you're 50% to die about, just straight up on the strategy. So it's just like, doing it on that pace was the crazy part and what makes the run so good. There's only one particularly problematic trainer left before the Elite Four. It's not any of the gym leaders. This route has left Nidoking overleveled for Erika, Sabrina, and Blaine. Even Giovanni offers no resistance as Nidoking doesn't even need to set up X items to sweep. Adding Blizzard to its moveset gives it essentially perfect coverage for the endgame. No, the scary fight actually comes just before Giovanni. This black belt will move back to his original spot if you beat him and leave the gym, opening the quickest path to Giovanni. It's unfortunate that this is the most convenient route, because he has a very threatening team. Horn Drill is necessary to one-shot both of these Machokes. Once again, it's essentially a coin flip. Two status moves, or the X attack, allow the run to progress, and the two damaging moves could end the run of Pokeguy's life. Peace, peace. Oh! Okay. It's got Karate Chop and because of Gen 1 crit stuff, it's like 70% to critical. So if a karate chop crits, you die, or low kick crit. With that, Red Bar is all but locked in for the Elite Four. Pokeguy doesn't heal before the rival outside the Pokemon League knowing he has nothing to worry about. Once again, Nidoking's typing comes in clutch. The later rival fights are in the group of trainer fights in this game with what is called good AI, along with the gym leaders, elite four trainers, and a few others. It gets a bit more complicated at times, but for now, the only thing that matters is that these genius trainers know the type chart. If they see a super effective move, they use it. Blue's Pidgeot is carrying Quick Attack, Wing Attack, Whirlwind, and a new move, Agility. Do you see where this is going? Neither of its two damaging moves are super effective against Nidoking, but Blue's new toy, Agility, is a psychic move, and as far as he knows, that's the play against his Poison-type opponent. That means Nidoking gets as many X items as he needs, in this case a speed and an accuracy to set up a guaranteed sweep. This kind of AI exploitation is going to be key for the rest of the run, because this is all the experience Nidoking is going to get before the Elite Four. After getting through Victory Road without a single encounter or trainer battle, it's time. Lorelei has the most complicated AI to deal with of any trainer in the run. Lorelei leads with a dugong that knows rest, and if it can get tricked into resting like Blue's Pidgeot got tricked into spamming agility, Pokeguy can set up and take out the rest of the fight for free. 
Unfortunately, it also has the super effective Aurora Beam, so it can't be relied on just to use a Psychic move. However, Lorelei is one of the few trainers fought in this run who is programmed with another AI pattern along with the good AI pattern mentioned earlier. This AI pattern prioritizes status moves among a couple of others. For whatever reason, in classic Gen 1 fashion, this AI pattern doesn't take hold until turn 2. So how can Nidoking survive until then? Well, it turns out this isn't quite a solo run through the Elite Four after all. The X accuracy is all that's needed to get through this fight, and Nidoking starts blasting. Bruno leads Onyx, which has a pathetic 62 attack stat and nothing super effective against Nidoking, making it perfect setup fodder. Nidoking shrugs off a rage and keeps on drilling. Agatha leads a level 56 Gengar with Nightshade, so Pokegai is forced to use a super potion before this fight. Considering there's still damage to be taken from Lance, healing wasn't a matter of if, but rather when, and Agatha is a convenient time to do it. Lance means yet another encounter with Gyarados. The biggest hurdle standing between Pokegai and a massive world record is yet another Gyarados, and thus another 15% to watch the run die to a critical hit Hydro Pump. Oh my god, dude. This literally just won 43 if I don't die. I can't fucking believe it. The Dragonite is way too strong to go down without X items, but thankfully Lance's second Dragonair has the perfect move to allow Pokegai to set up. Once again, Nidoking's Poison-type baits Agility Spam, and after an X-Speed, it's just on Nidoking to hit Blizzard. It literally is. Holy fuck. Blue's Pidgeot has replaced Agility with Mirror Move, and finally has a strong Flying Move in Sky Attack, albeit one that requires a turn of charge. It can't be relied on to spam a useless move, but after using a potion, Nidoking is still in red bar, yet can survive a non-crit wing attack. He needs two turns to set up on this fight, an X-Speed and an X-Accuracy. Essentially, the win condition against Pidgeot from this health is dodging a turn 1 sky attack, check, and dodging either double wing attack or a wing attack crit, check. By turn 3, it was over, and all that was left was to wait out the Hall of Fame cutscene to see the final time. 141 IGT. 144.03, like what the fuck? This is not a thing that was meant to happen. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. There are a few places where time could have been saved on this run, mostly thanks to RNG. And when I say a few, I really do mean a few. Without either the Blizzard miss against Lance's Dragonair or the blue Gyarados Hydro Pump miss that forced the Pokeflute turn back in Sylphco, this run could have been a 143. If you want to get crazier, there's a strategy to skip the heal pad in Lavender Town and save a whopping 3 or 4 seconds. But that adds even more risk to an already ridiculously uncertain run. It's important to realize that to even get to the position that Pokeguy was in in Sylphco, the runner has to get absurdly lucky. Pokegai took an already unbelievably lucky run and essentially locked any competitor out of the world record by going for a line that, to be successful, required him to get absurd RNG. He was already ahead, 
and risked that lead to get so far ahead that now every other player attempting to break his record has to not just get as ridiculously lucky as him, they have to get even luckier. There are now so few things that are allowed to go wrong in a potential Pokemon Red World record that by many, the category has been pronounced dead. So will anybody ever beat this? Everybody said this was a category-killing run, including Pokeguy himself. Over half a year later, does he still feel that way? How confident is he that he'll hold on to the record? Pretty confident that um, there are some people doing runs still on, like, there are, uh, Grogear and Yujido specifically have been going pretty hard for just 144, but they've gone on some really good pace. But uh, none, none good enough yet. But uh, I'm pretty sure it'll stand for quite a while. Pretty confident. I think a few others will get 144 soon, but not low enough, probably. Regardless of what happens with these new runners, Pokeguy has established a new standard for Pokemon Red Glitchless Any% percent. Anybody trying to take on this record will have to be a truly brave soul. All those things that could have gone wrong in this run, in one of his thousands of previous runs, they did. Over and over again. And they'll keep happening to the next runner to take on this challenge too. For Pokeguy, this was the culmination of years of studying and grinding, and it's amazing to see all that pay off over 104 minutes of near-perfect gameplay. He recently announced his retirement from speedrunning, and one of his stated motivations for moving on is that his current PBs are simply too good to make further grinding rewarding. Quote, The final reason that drove me to this decision is that all my PBs in games are just too good. That grinding to barely beat them just isn't as fun as I would like it to be, and I have little interest in learning any new games. The only thing I haven't accomplished that I wish I did is Fire Red Leaf Green Sub 2. But you can't have them all, I guess. End quote. <laughs> this guy literally retired because his records are so good that even he thinks he can't reasonably beat them. Many thanks to Pokeguy for taking the time to talk with us about his run. I hope you enjoyed this look into a different kind of Pokemon challenge. I just thought it was really cool. <laughs>